Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask you to tenderize our hearts so that they can be open to the words that you're going to share today. May the things that Peg says be forgotten and the things that God says through Peg <laughs> make a statement in everybody's heart, everyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see. So Lord God, I thank you for this wonderful gathering here today, that we are here to worship you in spirit and in truth in Jesus' name. Today we're going to talk about Gideon, a mighty man of valor. My motto when I was young is <laughs> everything can kill you, so choose something fun. I was always doing crazy sports. I was an athlete. I was running around on fast motorcycles, fast cars, fast living. And then, and then, and then I came to Jesus Christ. And all of that excitement I thought I had in those previous years paled in comparison, paled in comparison to living God's way. Uh, I tell you, when you really sell out and start walking by the Spirit, it is the most exciting life you could ever, ever enter into. And I don't know of anything more fulfilling than walking by the Spirit. I can promise you when you do it, it will be something exciting every day. It will never be dull. And you will always feel satisfied when you lay your head on the pillow at night. So today we're going to go to school, what they called in the Old Testament, the school of the prophets, the school of the prophets, because we're going to see how the spirit works in men and women. And we will see what happens when you hitch your wagon to God's plan instead of your own. Here's reality check. God designed us to live by the spirit, walk by the spirit, love by the spirit, in other words, we're supposed to get up all in the morning and all throughout the day saying, Lord, what can I do for you right now? In your business, in your play, in your fun, whatever, salvation is a gift. And the question is, what are you doing with your gift? Are you sharing it or hoarding it? My mother drilled a lesson into me when I was a child and she said, Peg, never eat a treat unless you have enough to give everybody. So if I only had five cents for one Snickers bar, I'd pull out my pocket knife and cut it into four pieces so everybody could have some. And that's just in my DNA. If I have something good, I was taught to share it and give it to everybody. So that's what I try to do with the word of God. So we're gonna go to the book of Judges, chapter six and I love the Old Testament. I call it my happy hunting grounds because it gives us such vivid descriptions of how to trust God, how to trust God. And in Judges chapter six, we're going to see that the first keys are to listen and obey and then to walk by what you hear because that produces Fireworks, joy, deliverance, all those things that we read in the Bible that get us so inspired and excited. And in verse one, it says, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Well, we're going to find out later why he delivered them. It wasn't his choice. It was their choice. In verse seven, a handful of people turned to the Lord 
and cried out for mercy, mercy, unmerited favor. And the cool thing was God hears our cries. I love that. And in response, God sent a prophet. And in verses eight through 10, it says the prophet came and spoke to all the people of Israel and said, I am the Lord, your God. I told you not to honor the gods of the Amorites, but you have not obeyed my voice. That's why they were under bondage from the Midianites. 200 plus years earlier, God had set them free from Egypt. Free 99, you can't beat that. <laughs> they had been in 400 years, not only of bondage, but hard labor. I mean, terrible lifestyle. And God set them free and brought them to a land for which they did not labor, a land flowing, flowing with milk and honey. He drove the, the inhabitants out with the hornets and with other things so that these people just walked into houses with fields ready to pick. But you know what? They forgot. They forgot where their salvation, where their gift came from. And you know what happened? This is about 200 years after Joshua is dead. And they went back and forth doing this. So this isn't the only time it happened in Israel. But in this point in time, in Judges chapter 6, they were acting like a bunch of spoiled, ungrateful brats. And they were taking the gifts from, from God for granted. They forgot from whom their blessings came and they began to consume it upon their flesh. And when you start that consumption, it's a hard wheel to stop. You just want to add to it. And so one of the things that Israel had gotten into as a nation was Baal worship. Baal. I don't mean a hay Baal. I mean a demonic god called himself Baal. Maybe you've heard the name. And what was a typical Baal ritual like? Well, it started with child sacrifices. And then it moved on to a wild bisexual orgy. What was utterly profane, most of the people thought nothing of it. As a matter of fact, they participated in it to some degree. And practicing this perversion was doing the exact opposite of what Jehovah warned them about, not to go whoring after other gods of these pagans. And they brought on themselves their captivity. At this point, it was seven years under the Midianites, the Amalekites. But folks, history repeats itself. The same thing is going on in much of our world today. And the average citizen doesn't even bat an eye. We've become numb to it or even confronting it. We, they just ignore it. And we wonder why our nation is in such big trouble. Spiritual problems need spiritual solutions. We've got to come back to God as a nation. Now, God gave everybody one thing very precious. He gave everybody free will. But we have to live with the results of the choices we make with that free will. You can choose to stick your head in an airplane propeller, but you're not going to be happy with the result. So when a nation starts to choose violence and paganism and idolatry over the one true God of love and peace and harmony, this is what brought Israel, a once thriving nation, to its knees. And like I said, this could be the headlines in most of the news sites right here in the USA. Same sin, different day, 
same result. But same God, same loving God, he'll give us new results because you are 100% free to ignore God. But you, if you do it, <laughs> and I did it for about 15 years of my life, you end up one hot mess. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments is I am. We heard that in the manifestations this morning. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me, including Baal or any other god. When I was talking to Ron about this yesterday, Ron just kind of blurted out, or self. That is what so many people have done in this life. They've made themselves their God. Whatever feels good to them, that's their priority. And that one's a little sneakier than just out and out going to a pagan temple, but it's just as deadly. And you know, those 10 commandments that God gave, I used to have a plaque up that said this, they aren't suggestions. They are how to live a blessed and more abundant life. Yes, they bring worship to God, the first five, but the second five are all about how to bring blessings into your own life. If you don't do these things, you'll get blessed. <laughs> Because, folks, there's two things God demands. He just won't put up with it if you don't do this. He demands worship, and he demands thankfulness. And if you eschew those two things, things don't work out so well for your life. He wants us to acknowledge his goodness every day. Do you know God has a whole level of angels that all they do is say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And these angels say this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they've been doing it for a minimum in our time of 7,000 years nonstop. If you read that part of Revelation 4, that tells you right there, God wants your worship. He wants to be the first in your life. And you know what? He's got, he's got every right to expect that because he's, God, he's Elohim, he's Jehovah, he's the creator of every good and perfect thing that we enjoy in our life. It comes from him. And all he asks are two things, that we acknowledge him for his graciousness and that we live for his glory. Is that so hard? Not really, it shouldn't be. And Gideon is a great example of someone that we see cause and effect of someone who was he was wrapped up in himself in a different way in self-criticism <laughs> and how God turned him to a man who lived his life for God. You know, Israel had defeated the Midianites many times in the past, but it was always when they were walking under the love of God and under God's protection. Every time they walked away from God, you know, the enemies would come in like locusts and ransack their land and take all their crops and take all their animals. But God, I love that, you know, we can repent. I think I think the other religion used to call it backsliding. I don't know about that word, but the thing is when we mess up, even if it's our fault, if we turn back to the Lord, he will set us free. He will restore. And we can all do that on an individual basis, but when it comes to nations, it's got to be a few people. It's got to be some number of people. I don't know the magic number, but God does, and that's what I'm aiming for, to help that many people really see that this is a spiritual fight 
and we need spiritual solutions. That there's hope for this earth to become a better, sweeter, kinder place during our lifetime if we can bring more people to the love of Jesus because love is the only thing that never fails. So it turns out God, as usual, sees things in people that we don't often see in ourselves. And he's very good if we give him a little crack into our heart. He's very good at bringing that to the surface. And God is going to take a person that initially has no self-confidence, the least like, likely to succeed in his own eyes, and he's going to raise him up to be a mighty man of valor and change the course of history. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, <laughs> you know, you'd think he'd say, why are you hiding in the wine press to thresh the wheat? What are you afraid of? He didn't say that. The angel appears and he says, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Hey, wake up, Gideon. It's time to realize you are awesome. And God is going to mine that gem within you and help you bring it to the surface. And Gideon does something so human. He deflected the compliment and started complaining about God. And he says, why has God handed us over to the enemy? Well, if Gideon had listened to the words of the prophet, he already knew why they were in the soup. But, verse 14, but, 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 the angel got him back on point. He had a message from God to Gideon, and he was going to deliver it. He said, go in your might. You shall save Israel, for I am sending you. God is sending Gideon. And Gideon wasn't quite through whining yet. Verse 15, but Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manassas and I'm the least of my entire family. And I'll tell you, sometimes I look around the world and think, man, is there any hope? I think about that verse where Jesus says, when I come back, will I find faith in the earth? People, things aren't as bad as the news and the media want to make you, how do I put this? They want you to get on the negative side because they're bought and paid for by people who love negativity, love violence, love oppression. When we look at how big our God is, you know what all the pressures and problems in this world look like? A little flea on a, a dog's back, just flick it off with your finger. I mean, God is God. This whole planet is a pinpoint in the universe and the problems on this planet are even smaller to Jehovah. We just got to get on his page. And today we don't need an angel sent to us. We can say, God, I want to be like Gideon. So Gideon is sitting there telling him like Moses did, you know, Moses said, I can't speak. And, you know, somebody else said, I, I think it was Isaiah who said something else. I'm slow of speech. And, you know, that just having that little chat, all of us have once in a while. And I can see why Gideon said it because he'd been living under oppression for seven years. Verse 16, and the angel said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man, a.k.a. in our language, that'd be piece of cake. Verse 18. So now Gideon is warming up to the idea. And he asked the angel for a sign, namely for him to stay there until it says in verse 18, I bring you a gift. 
Now, Gideon was gone for two hours preparing this gift. He was preparing the angel, a huge feast of bread and broth. And he did that because Gideon still understood the old ways that to honor a prophet or an angel of God in this case, that you would prepare an offering, a gift out of respect and honor to God's messenger. This, this gives you a, your first clue of where Gideon's heart is. He had a good heart. He'd just been having a tough time. But Gideon was starting to get the memo. And the fact is, when he returned two hours later, the angel was still there. That is so cool. I just, you know, seven's a great chapter, but six, we miss a lot of this stuff because there's so many principles in here. And in verse eight, in verse 20, the angel told Gideon to put the cakes on a flat rock and pour the broth, make them wet, which would make them fire resistant, you know. Then the angel touched the meal with his staff and fire came down from heaven and consumed the gift. Gideon got the memo. This was God's way of saying, son, I am well pleased with your offering. You can put your trust in me. I call this a starter miracle. <laughs> You know, Gideon had been living under a lot of oppression, and now God was giving him his first taste of supernatural victory, supernatural power. So God is gently leading Gideon by the hand to strengthen him, to encourage him for the job ahead. And you know what, friends? God wants to do the same thing for you and me. All we have to do is ASK. Miracles did not go out with the apostles. Miracles got put on steroids with the apostles. <laughs> Under the new covenant, we can do even more than they did in the Old Testament. And that's why this record is for our learning so that we can pay attention to how much patience, how much love, how personal God was in Gideon's spiritual growth. He will give you things to do for him that are outside of your comfort zone. And you know what? He'll keep doing that as long as you're willing to go and grow with God. Two-thirds of God is go. G-O-D. God, go. <laughs> I remember the first time I spoke in tongues. My head had been in all kind of crazy world religions. And I went to that little fellowship and I spoke in tongues about five days after I met these people. And that moment I felt and I knew God was in me. And the next thing I knew... The Bible said I could minister healing, so I just started doing it. The Bible said I could do miracles, and I just started doing it. And God was talking to me and teaching me along the way. And he did, in fact, send an angel to me at Waffle House. It's in my book. And you know what he did? Pretty much what this angel was doing. He encouraged me. He told me I was a woman of valor. He said God was proud of what I was doing, sharing the Bible. And in chapter 6, we see God dealing with Gideon's low self-esteem so that he can become, bring to the surface what God already knows is inside of him. Don't we all really want that deep inside to be our best self in this one lifetime, especially to be our best for God? And I so love that God does not look on the flesh. He looks on the heart. And Gideon must have had a really great heart because God asked him to do a really 
big thing that very night. I mean, he let him spend the day with the angel. He got him all stoked. He did the fire thing. He built his, he, you know, I had him exercising his faith. And verse 25, the Lord told Gideon, I can hardly believe this, to go tear down the altar of Baal. I mean, most of the people in the community were digging this. And <laughs> I told you, yeah, just crazy, up on the hill. So there was the altar of Baal up on the hill where everybody could see the fires. And in front of the altar was something called an Asherah pole. We would call it an obelisk, but in, it's actually a phallic symbol. The phallic symbol was the symbol of Baal. Huge, tall thing, cylindrical, in front of Baal's altar. And then the Lord said, tear it down and build an altar to Jehovah on the same hill and take that wooden obelisk, that Asherah, cut it, cut that wood up in pieces. And on top of that thing that used to represent Baal, set it on fire and sacrifice a bullock to me and do it up here on the hill so everybody can see it. Folks, that's a big ask for a new believer. <laughs> But that was awesome because Gideon, lo and behold, he obeyed God to the letter. And that tells you volumes about where his heart was at. And in verse 24, it says, And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom. Which means the Lord is my peace. That is quite a turnaround in one day with the Lord. Yep. You know, but like so many heroes of faith who in the beginning said, I'm not worthy. God saw something in Gideon. He didn't see in himself. He saw a mighty warrior. And every day I'm asking God to show me how he sees me. I don't want the negativity of the world running my life. When I look in the mirror in the morning, one of the first things I do is say, good morning, Jesus, while I'm looking at myself, because Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. And so maybe we should line our vision up <laughs> of ourselves up with God's reality of who we are so we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he can raise us up just like he's raising up Gideon in, the, in Judges chapter 6. Well, the people in Israel, they weren't too happy about the Gideon tearing down the altar and they wanted to kill him. Stone him! And you know what? Gideon's own father. He was the high priest of Baal. Can you believe that? <laughs> there must have been some generational blessings coming in because that was one big generational curse right there that they were overcoming. And you know what the father said? Uh, Gideon's father said to the people, hey, if Baal is God, let him fight his own fights. And he was a voice of authority, so the mob turned away. But look, folks, God can work through the most unlikely people that we couldn't possibly see taking a stand for God. This guy was the high priest of Baal, and he defended Gideon. Yes, he was his son, but I'm just saying God can work through anybody he wants to. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> the armies of the Midians and the Amalekites are reforming in the Valley of Jezreel because they're ready to rape and pillage Israel once again. But God... Remember, he heard the cry of his people, and he has other plans for Israel. Yay! Verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. 
Gideon blew a ram's horn and called to arms all the Israelites and they came from far and near. So now Gideon is filled with the spirit of God. And I'll, but the, 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 the match to the fuse, to the, to the dynamite is he wanted to do God's will. I think of that father who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And Jesus did. So he has the desire, but he needs a little more encouragement. Wasn't like he could go pick up his Bible and read it. It wasn't like he was sitting in a fellowship of believers like we are today. And he requested another sign. And God said, he said in verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel, as you promised, please give me a sign. And he got it. And I get it because I've done the same thing many, many times to make sure I'm in the center of God's will and not running off half cocked into Peg's plan for moving the word, for taking the word over the world. And I'll check in with God and I'll ask him to give me confirmation is what I call it. And he will give it to me in a multitude of ways so I can stay on the straight and narrow doing his plan and not my plan. And we know the, the story, Gideon had the fleece. One day he said, Lord, would you make the ground wet, the fleece dry? He did. The next morning, Gideon said, would you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? And God did. And again, this jacked up his confidence, his God confidence. Chapter seven. And I'm going to try to make a long story short because my focus was chapter six. So because the people saw a leader. After all, remember, he tore down the altar of Baal in front of the whole town, for goodness sake. <laughs> they really did come out and support him because he gave them hope. And hope is a powerful thing. Now, the Amalekites who were down in the valley looking like grasshoppers, 135,000. I've been there, man. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And when Gideon gave a call to arms, he had a good turnout relatively speaking, for Israel, 32,000. They had 135,000. Which number's bigger, 32 or 135? Well, chapter 7, verse 1. <laughs> You're not going to believe what God said to Gideon. This had to blow his mind. <laughs> God has such a great sense of humor, and he's awesome. I love this. Chapter 7, verse 1, he said to Gideon, they got 135,000. Gideon's got 32. He said to Gideon, the people that are with you are too many. <laughs> They're too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest they boast against me saying, mine own hand delivered me. Okay. So God told Gideon to say, tell the people, you know, if you if you're afraid, well, let's look at verse three, because here's the deal. You know, God's going to give us assignments, but he doesn't want us saying it's our power. He wants he knows where the glory goes. He wants the acknowledgement and the thanksgiving. Verse three. Now, announce to the army. This is God talking to Gideon. Verse three. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear, just turn back. Go ahead and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So the first thing God did was get rid of all the fear, get rid of the fearful. <laughs> but that left Gideon with some really slim pickings. Verse four, well, God's not finished yet. 
because he tells Gideon, you still have too many people for me to get the glory. And he gave Gideon a test to give the 10,000. Have every man go to the brook and the men who drink with cupped hands and bring the water to their mouth, you keep those. And the ones that lay on their belly and drink right from the brook, send them home because they've been used to bowing down to Baal, the idolaters. Getting rid of fear, getting rid of idolatry. So by the time God was done, there were 300 men left to fight against 135,000 hardened soldiers. Now, anybody who knows me knows I'm not good at math, but I can use a calculator and those odds are roughly 450 to one. If you're going to Las Vegas, you would not take that bet. But here's the life lesson. You can do more with God with 300 committed believers than 31,700 who are full of fear and idolatry. David said, the Lord doesn't bother to the Lord to save by many or by few if they're true believers in the mix. So here's 300 valiant men looking to Gideon, looking down at the Valley of Jezreel. It looks like it's covered in ants. <laughs> And they're looking to Gideon for inspiration and courage because they know God is with him. And during the night, verse 9, please go to verse 9. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down, check out the camp. Because I have, and have is what class, past tense, delivered them into your hands. If you are yet afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and just listen. Listen to what they are saying because afterwards you're going to be encouraged to attack the camp. <laughs> I mean, I love how God is working with Gideon. Again, will, he's so willing. He just has to get that. You know, you ever play those little puzzles where you have to get the ball and the little divot? <laughs> He's just got to feel that click in his own heart. And that's the thing, folks. God is not looking for perfection, but class, what's he looking for? Participation, participation. And Gideon is certainly participating. And by golly, look what happens when Gideon goes down there. Verse 13 will blow your mind. And when God was... And when Gideon was come down, behold, there was a man, this is the enemy, who told a dream to his friend. And he said, behold, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. And his fellow answered him and said, this is nothing except the, sword of the, except the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand, God has delivered the whole camp of Midian. People, if you don't give yourself over to God, you ain't never going to see stuff like this. But when you do, you'll see this on a regular basis. But holy cow, here is God foretelling Gideon's victory out of the mouth of the enemy. 
my friends. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. Verse 15. So when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation there, he worshiped. You think? Yes, he was sold out. He was 100% fully persuaded. And this was not a coincidence, as somebody might say. This was the plan of God. It was a miracle of timing. And Gideon returned to the host of Israel. And he said, get up, arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hands the host of the Midianites. And now they are fired up because Gideon was fired up. That dream was a bona fide miracle, and it really set Gideon in that place where he needed to be fully persuaded that they had already won the battle through God's power. How about that? Did they take swords? No. Did they take shields? No. <laughs> Did they take chariots? No. You know why? First of all, because they didn't have any. <laughs> But what they did have was so much more better. They took with them in their heart the presence and power of the living God. And ladies and gents, that is more than enough. You and God always make a majority. Verse 16, the Lord told Gideon to split the men, the 300 into three companies, to go on three sides of the enemy's camps. And what they did take were ram's horns, pitchers, and torches. Not really heavy-duty weapons. <laughs> verse, <coughs> verse 17. <coughs> Gideon put on his leadership hat. He said, watch me and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And folks, this is a man who's not hiding behind the wine press. This is a man full of God confidence. He's growing in grace and in the knowledge of the power of God. He says, when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Man, shout it in your house right now. The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Verse 20, the three companies were on three sides of the camp. They blew the trumpets and smashed the jars and grabbed those torches in their left hands, holding them real high in the sky while blowing their trumpet with their right hand, shouting, the sword of the Lord and Gideon, verse 21. And while all the enemy, now they are, the enemy is now discombobulated. They're woken up, it's nighttime, the sun hasn't come up, they're discombobulated, they're confused. Isn't that a great word, discombobulated? I love it when God discombobulates the enemy. And you know what they did? They started killing each other because they couldn't see who was who. And while all this craziness is going on, I love verse 21. Here's this massive 135,000 people going crazy. And each man that came with Gideon stood in his place around about the camp. All the Midians ran crying out of tents as they fled. And that verse 21 is so important, so important. Because Gideon's men stood with him. Those weren't full of fear. They weren't bound down to bail people. They had become believers in very short order. Even when there was death and chaos all around as the enemy went crazy, not one of Gideon's men budged. Like Ephesians 6, where God tells us to stand fast against the wiles of the devil and having done all what? Stand. 
I mean, Gideon never had to even use a sword. Isn't that great? All he had to do was follow God's instructions and cry the sword of the Lord and Gideon over and over as the enemy killed each other. And a few escaped, but they didn't get far. Man, that's some kind of record right there. And if Gideon hadn't made a decision to listen and obey, it would have never been written. It's interesting. We don't know the names of the people that, uh, the 22,000 and the 10,000 that ran away, but we certainly know Gideon and his mighty men of valor. So I want to do, if you want this sheet of paper, you can, you can, uh, text me or email me. I want to do kind of a, a synopsis, cliff notes of chapter six, because we see what the result is, overwhelming victory. But chapter six is what shows us how Gideon got to the place of manifesting the power that God had placed within him. And that is crucial to us to walk in obedience and see the power of God. That's why I love the Old Testament because these are such practical teachings. This is how, 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 you know, good reporter, who, what, where, when, and how. This is how the rubber meets the road. Starts with obedience, works itself into faithfulness. God's never the problem. He's just always waiting on us. So let's recap the principles in chapter six, okay? Number one, don't try to write all this down, but just, you know, I can send you this page if you want it. Number one, a handful of believers cried out for mercy and God answered. Number two, God sent a prophet to tell them why they were in the soup so that they could change their ways and turn from their disobedience. And that, my friend, is also for our learning right here in 2024. Number three, God himself raised up a deliverer, a leader. Not a narcissist, but someone who was humble before God. Pride goes before the fall. And I can tell you from 50 years of experience, pride has ruined more ministries than anything you can shake a stick at. Number four, <clears throat> Gideon's humility was actually kind of a good thing. Because the first thing he did was honor the messenger of God and show respect for God's messenger, which shows his attitude of heart. Number five, God sent fire from heaven to take up the offering, which anyone in Israel would have understood. That meant their offering was accepted by God, that God was well pleased with the heart of the giver. Number six, so that whole day, God went about building Gideon's God confidence. And then he asked Gideon to do something that really puts skin in the game, tear down the altar of Baal and build an altar to Jehovah called God is my peace. I love that. First, God proclaims it, and then he does it. He brought peace to all his people. Verse 7 it doesn't say so in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that Gideon knew the consequences of tearing down Baal's altar. It was all too familiar. <clears throat> it was not going to please the majority of the people. But he trusted God to have his back. <clears throat> Number eight, 
It was Gideon's father, the high priest of Baal, who spoke out in his defense. You never know how God is going to carry out deliverance. Just don't try to put him in a box because God can work through the most unlikely per people to bring to pass his will. Number nine, God continued to give Gideon signs and information, strengthening him for the battle ahead. And Gideon obeyed what God said, and there was great, great victory for the household of Israel as a whole nation. God never quit on Gideon because Gideon never quit on God. And the takeaway for us in this whole matter <clears throat> is God will do this. If God would do this for Gideon in the Old Testament, would he do any less for you? Is child by seed under the new covenant? No, because through Christ, we can now do even more. Folks, every day, it's a choice. We're either living superficially or we're living supernaturally. I choose column B. <laughs> so to Gideon, so to lots of you each and every day. And what's the result of that kind of choice when you choose to stand for God and not the yakety yak, don't talk back of the world? Judges chapter 8, verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, after all this happened, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, because you've saved us from the hand of Midian. Verse 23, but Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you, but the Lord will rule over you. For 400 years, Israel lived under what was called a theocracy. God himself raised up men and women women to rule over the people by getting revelation from God and speaking it forth to the people. You know, most of our school kids don't know that our country was founded on a theocracy, that our rights did not come from man, but they come from God. And that is why we're in trouble today. We've got so gotten so far away from that truth that no man has a right to interfere in another person's life unless they're trying to harm their neighbor. There you have it. Gideon said, I'm not going to rule over you. God rules over man. And that's why God chose Gideon, because he saw his heart. And in verse 28, it says, all of Israel's enemies were subdued, and Israel didn't hear a peep out of any of them for 40 years. There was peace in the land, just like God said at the altar. Yahweh is my peace. And Gideon's valor came full circle. And of course, when those 40 years were up and after Gideon died, what do you think the people did? They went back to serving other gods. And once again, just like right here today in our country, this is a spiritual battle and it needs a spiritual solution. And guess what? I've just given it to you for free 99. You know, God sure tells us a lot of why things happen in the Bible, and somehow we still go back and repeat the same stupid things that they did for the last 7,000 years. We see it, 
We understand it and we do it anyway. I don't get it. <laughs> the weakness of the flesh, I suppose. But, you know, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and ask our question, why? In Judges 6, Gideon saw himself as a loser. God saw him as a lion, a man of valor. Well, who was right? Yeah, God, duh. But just like Gideon, if you want to see the miracles he saw, you need to put some skin in the game. What Gideon did is he kept growing. God kept giving him tasks and he kept growing out of his comfort zone and enlarging not his borders, but God's borders. And folks, these are spiritual laws. They're precepts. They're not rocket science. These are simple precepts that a child can understand. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put God first. But too many of us are still consumed by the shiny objects on this earth or the lies of the adversary. God didn't give us power in abundance so we could consume it upon our flesh, but so we could further his kingdom so that we could do his plan and take the real word over the world, bringing others to Christ. And you do that by walking in all nine manifestations. If you can do one, you can do the other eight. If you can do two, you can do the other six. And let me just ask you a question. Did this record of Gideon inspire you? I mean, boy, it, it's, it, it inspired the heck out of me. Well, guess what? We can inspire others just like he did when we walk by the Spirit. I guess my question to all of us is why would you not want to do that? <laughs> I, I don't get it. How would your life change, your family, your nation change if you adopted a Gideon attitude of heart today? I'm hearing in my head that old hymn, rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things, give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Folks, we were created to need God, but we were also created to serve God. It's not about God being on your side. It's about you being on his side. And God confidence will trump self-confidence every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So, you know, this message is kind of a fresh wind for today's church because so many have forgotten who they are in Christ and what we are called to do. We are mighty men and women of valor when we keep the main thing, the main thing. I challenge you, I'm gonna leave you with an assignment. I challenge you to ask God today to help you do one thing for him out of your comfort zone. One thing for him out of your comfort zone. And then do it again tomorrow. And then do it again the next day. That's how you grow up spiritually. That's how you become a man or woman of valor for God. Not staying where everything feels comfortable, but getting out there on the front line, being the tip of the spear. And a whole world of adventure and excitement and deliverance awaits you as you commit to God's plan for your life. I'll just end with a simple, simple, simple statement and let it sink in. Jesus never came to start a religion. He came 
to bring us home to Papa. And that's our job too. Jesus never came to start a religion. He came to bring us home to Papa. And that's our job now too. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the beauty of this day. I thank you for these wonderful records in the Bible like Gideon that we can see how men and women of God walked and stood for you and took charge, brought love and goodness and peace and joy, the fruit of the Spirit, back to this crazy planet because we need help. Anybody who doesn't know that is lying to themselves, but we need help your way, not some way that we concoct. So, Father, I thank you for wisdom, for understanding, and for the beauty of your holiness that lives within us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.